sharing huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain soaked Lords. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. Hello, how's it? Welcome back. This is Moving Needle Podcast. This is a new podcast series for 2021, the Crank Brothers Race Review. It'll be with me, your host, Andrew Nietling. I've teamed up with Crank Brothers this year to create a new series of podcast episodes that break down the action from each and every World Cup downhill race. I'll be bringing you a review episode after each race with a selection of different co-hosts. We will discuss the ups, the downs, the dirty, the funny, and try to give you some insight into what is really going on in the world of downhill racing. Crank Brothers is synonymous with downhill racing. Last year, they celebrated 10 years in a row of elite world champs wins with a mallet DH pedal. While determined to improve the shoe and pedal interface, well, Crank Brothers spent the last two years developing their own range of shoes, launching late last year. And in 2021, you'll see those shoes in use on the World Cup DH circuit with riders like Lucas Shaw, Bernard Kerr, Angle Suarez, and world champs Osen O'Callaghan and Camille Blanchet. Well, for 13 of my 14 years racing overseas, I used the Mallet DH pedal. I loved it. It was really good in the mud, and you can see most of the top downhill races in the world and enduro riders as well are choosing this pedal because it really, really is so good in the mud. Well, I've hopped on their shoes as well, and I can say they are the most comfy shoes, and they really, really are just so good. The interface with the pedal, it's just seamless. You just pop that cleat on, and off you go. So let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome podcast fans from wherever you're tuning in. This is the Crank Brothers Race Review, and I'm really lucky to be joined by a good friend of mine, Miles Kelsey. He's returning to the show. He's a former Masters World Champion in downhill, an absolute student of the sport. I won't let out his age per se, but he has so much experience. He's running Bike Network down in South Africa. But he's just a real big fan of the sport. We're always texting back and forth. I was sending him videos from Maribor World Cup. I was lucky enough to be on the ground there. So, Miles, how are we doing today? Needle's so good, man. Thanks for reaching out. And what are you doing in Slovenia? Hey, man. Um, yeah, I, I was a last-minute decision. I know we were chatting and we saw each other in Cape Town doing a bit of riding. And uh, I was lucky enough to present a video co with Shimano and Scott. We're actually going to feature Dean Lucas and pretty much like I'm doing in the podcasting is to try kind of unravel the real stories and and the characters behind the, the helmets that we see at the races. And uh, Dean Lucas, as everyone is starting to know, is, is, is really kind of finding himself and not as scared to do whatever he wants when he wants. So he's got a really positive outlook on life. So the episode hopefully will be good. So people, yeah, look out for that. But I was lucky enough to then stay um, at Maribor. Uh, I was at the race, hanging hanging out with the Scott team. I was also hanging out with my old team, with uh, Mick and Tracy. So it was awesome to catch up with all the ra old race folks. Awesome. Now, um, I'm so glad I picked Maribor because, Miles, I would say there's been some good races in the past, don't get me wrong, but we would do a, a fair go at it, a dry race, and I can't remember when last the top five guys or maybe the four of the top five finished their quali like they did and then backed it up in the final. Loik threw his name from a subpar quali by his standards. 
But for those guys to just come down hot seat, come down hot seat, come down hot seat, and then Loris to do it at the end, I was honestly blown away. It makes for exciting viewing when uh, there's uh, regular changes on the hot seat. You know, if you get like a a big star who um, takes an early run down and then sits on the hot seat for ages, it uh, puts a bit of a damper on the whole on the whole scene. But yeah, it makes for exciting television, exciting viewing. And uh, it must have been amazing to be there. Yeah, for sure. Super exciting race. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, like I said, I've been lucky enough to race. I've seen a lot of the races in the women's as well, which we'll obviously get to. Um, there, there's so many different ladies putting their name in the hat. And you could you could kind of try pick a winner, but you couldn't. And you couldn't really spot who's going to be on the podium. And in the past, you could kind of pick at least four of the five podiums in the women. But I was in the finish and the energy was building for Loris's run. And I think it's still on my story. No, it won't be on my story by now. But so I was videoing the the TV. I'm in the like the riders, managers area. And I've gone to try get him live over the finish line. And everyone's erupted. And this lady has knocked my phone, went for a huge party into the middle of the finish area on the tarmac to the point that everyone was running to Loris. But I couldn't, I wasn't going to jump into the finish area and cause trouble. But it was too too far to reach, so I luckily found a photographer who was running over to get obviously a pic of Loris, and I was like, "Oh no, he needs to get there." I was like, "Hey, can you get my phone?" Classic. So, um, yeah, the atmosphere was cool. Uh, spectators were out in force. I mean, the chainsaw massacres up on the course. I don't know how they have hearing the next day. So fans were loving. What it. was the vibe like? The obviously, heat, people it, couldn't weren't wearing masks, and uh, the fans are back. And I mean, it must have been unreal to be there. Yeah, I mean, Leger, luckily was at Leger as well. Um, but that race was a bit anti, a bit of an anti-climax, let's be fair, when the rain comes down. You know, we saw some incredible runs and some huge crashes, and, and you could always kind of guess what would have happened on a dry race. But, um, yeah, the atmosphere was great. You know, uh, every country's got different COVID rules, so they were there was testing throughout the week for riders, teams, trying to run as safe bubble as they could. I think they claimed the spectators would test it, or maybe if they were allowed into certain areas, okay. they were. But uh, it, it started building throughout the week. The weather was awesome. Maribor's a nice city. Um, and then on race day, yeah, they flocked into that rock section. They were all over the course, which is cool. They didn't just flock to the finish, which sometimes happens. Amazing. Yeah, it looked incredible. The track looked absolutely um, blown out, but super like in a funny way, it would have been super fun to ride. Obviously, it was hard on the hands, big holes and powder everywhere. But I think um, that kind of track is something that we get a lot of here in South Africa and something that, uh, um, to me, it looked like a lot of fun to ride, actually. Yeah, it was. I mean, the terrain there, um, you can kind of make your own uh, gaps. Um, you kind of They build with the, the natural flow of the mountain and the hill. So that's really cool. Um, and what was also good was Maribor hosted an IXS Cup, which, you know, likes of Greg went to. Then the Euro Champs, which, um, you know, all the Europeans and some of the British riders were there. Danny was there as well. Loris won that. And that was two races in the week, week and a half leading up to the World Cup. And they did a huge effort and a great job of changing the track mostly. So there were a lot of new sections, which you were speaking about, they got blown out. It was dusty. But um, it was really a fair fight, I must say. A hugely fair fight. It was fun to ride, but when it got so rough, I mean, some of the top riders in the world were complaining, 
of fatigue in their race runs and things like that. And I think that was one of the storylines was some guys fading at the bottom versus the other guys that you could see the work that they've been putting off is paying off and, and they were strong. What did, uh, when you used to race on blown out tracks like that, particularly with big holes, did you used to just smash through the holes knowing that it's the best line and just like hold on and, and, uh, and muscle it out? Or as a rider, were you um, like looking for smoother lines inside of the holes or like around the holes? What was your race strategy? Yeah, my, mine was a little bit... Um, you know, if you weren't as strong as some of the other ones, you want to maybe find there were a few setups or ways to ride it so it's a bit smoother. But when it gets that blown out and it's that dry and dusty, there were a few areas that you would love to set up. But if you get out of the main line, it's even more powdery. And that's where we saw some guys trying in practice to get out of the holes and, and be a little bit more creative, but it really wasn't working. So there was a little bit less down to line choice and a little bit more down to that race commitment. The top guys, the guys that did well, had that just extra intensity. Yes, the rock section, which we can talk about, there were some options and there were definitely a few setups. So yeah, me, I'd like to try to stay out of some of the bumps or, you know, bunny up into a bump so that I can be light over a bigger one. There definitely were other ways to ride it. I would say Deprello rides it with pure aggression, like his run didn't look maybe that he was carrying as much speed as as a Greg or a Loic. Greg said he made some mistakes, but you can see how Loic rides a bike. It's really efficient, yeah. and he still rode well. But Deprella was absolute all-out aggression, and then Loris rode it. He was a little bit better at timing some of the blown-out bumps, and, and really, you know, it's a matter of inches. You know, if you can set up an inch or two wide into a turn and carry a little bit, you know, we're talking fractions of a second here, but they all add up. So I do think you needed a clinical aggressive run. Okay, that's interesting. I think it's like, it's quite surprising that um, a lot of the riders were saying how tough the track is because, you, you know, we've you and I have both been watching and playing this game for ages and we're always ready for the riders. We're ready for them to comment on how tough the track is when they're at venues like Val de Soleil, Montsenan, um, and maybe Fort William, you know. And then to see a lot of, like big name World Cup winners saying how hard the track is physically and also how 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 tricky it is to ride. Um, for me, it was interesting that that that's what they were saying about Maribor. And then after you you know you watch all the footage and you see what's going on, you see the size of those holes, and then you see the dappled lights that they're dealing with. So, like, what was it like being there and watching riders have to? try and be precise around the holes that are hidden in the powder and then you actually can't even see them anyway because of the dappled light. What what was that like? Yeah, training was tough for the guys, I'm, I must say. I think we'll bring it back to the intensity that everyone's riding at as well. So there was the challenge of the dappled light. There were, it was harsh light. We're talking, you know, it was 35 degrees in the day, harsh light, and then you would be coming quite quick into a wood, wood section. And we were joking, you know, do you close eyes to try, get your eyes to like readapt as you drop in? Do you use a different goggle lens? Do you close one eye? Like there were all these urban myths that we're joking with the riders and, and, and what to use. But you're right. Um, you know, a final practice run, there was a very tough uh, breaking spot and then a left turn off the triple if you watched the broadcast. And Greg 
battled with that last practice run, but he but he pushed back up. But it was because a few riders before him were making so much dust, he couldn't spot his braking spot. And he kind of looked and he said, it's the same as it was when there's better vision in the race run. So that's almost their best conditions they had because there were three-minute gaps or three-and-a-half-minute gaps. So in the racing, it was a bit better. But yeah, practice was tough. And I can't say I've ever seen so many big crashes and so many big names get hurt on the first day practice. And that's one that the course was quite fast. It was getting beat up. But another, I just think the level gets elevated every single race, not just every year, it seems. Yeah, it's, in, it's incredible. Um, we saw some of that stuff coming through. And, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of injuries and the guys sidelined. I think Finals, um, Win, Ed. Um, yeah, Bernard, Bernard Kerr. Bernard Kerr, I saw that. I saw that POV of Bernard going down. I love his. I love his vlog. By, by the way, Bernard, you're doing an awesome job with that. But um, that crash just looked mean. It just looked like he got spat out, like horridly. Yeah, it, it was gnarly. And I was walking down Tane Seagrave. Uh, also had a huge crash in practice. One of those dapple light areas. She kind of washed the front going into the woods, and the the dirt's like concrete. You know, between the dusty areas, the old track, that's like honestly like hitting concrete. Shame she came out of the woods to just, she came to look what happened. It was that kind of a surprise of a crash. So there, there are riders that take a while to get up to speed, but even the likes of Greg, who would normally be a little bit more calculated, like I saw him really fast, really committed from the get go. There was a little bit of bike setup, but, um, She's the guy. I mean, I haven't seen Greg do a race in the season if he didn't really need to for a while. He's been riding in Andorra. He's did the IXS. He snuck to Val de Sol. He's come back. So, you know, like people have elevated. He's seen that everyone's riding their bike more. Everyone's fitter. Everyone's up in their game, really. You know, what's also interesting is um, the, the amount of riders that are right at the top of the field that are actually wearing body armor now you know back protectors and chest plates and stuff i know at some of the world cups it's you don't have to and then at others you kind of have to so i'm not sure what the rules are in slovenia there but like so many more of the top riders are running back plates now like if you wind back say five or ten years not yeah it was just kind of knee pads and then like like wing it kind of thing but now to your point everyone's pushing so hard and things are quite brutal out there that so many more riders are going for more body armor oh yeah i agree i I definitely agree i was speaking to dean and i was you know like what are you wearing do you have to and he said yeah i've just i I rode it a bit when we're forced to and i got used to it so i'm going to keep it on and and yeah i mean it's tough Uh, normally it it was maybe use it a bit in practice and then you take it off for the race but the guys are not i'm glad they're not taking it off um no, it, it was fast. It was brutal out there. The sports, I mean, it was amazing to witness. It, it really is in a good place. Um, and like I said, it was a fair fight. The, the course builders did a good job. There wasn't too much that stood out that they could maybe improve. It was it was really racing incidents that were occurring. I, I wouldn't pick apart part too much of that. And But to those crashes, uh, I thought... The sports always had good sportsmanship. You know, the fans can come in, you know, meet their riders. Everyone's pretty damn humble considering they've got these special talents and, and they're top of the game. But one thing that was really uh, not nice to see, the crash, but 
Eddie Masters shape took a huge crash morning of the race, second run. So there's not a lot of practice. They've only got an hour. Some riders are needing to try a few new lines if they had a bad quality. It's a pretty intense morning of practice speed-wise and pressure to get it done. And Eddie uh, just kind of sat up and, and was actually taking a breather before another section, and he actually clipped the pedal out of nowhere. Really big crash on his back, on his shoulder. I was just above, and as I got, I raced down there. As I got down there, Greg was there, Troy was there, maybe one or two others, maybe Martin Mays as well. And it, it was, you know, of course you're going to stop, but you really could see that, like how sincere they were. They were going to wait with him. And this was morning of the race. They need to get down. They need the bike back to the mechanic. They need to get prepped. But, you know, it's really cool to see the camaraderie on track uh, not, of, of the um, riders, like to witness it in person, you know. There's not many sporting codes where where um, rivals and competing athletes are as caring with each other as and as helpful with each other as, as in downhill, right? Yeah, I mean, of course they are. Like, But it was they are and they aren't i guess there's all these rivalries but the amazing thing is it's a time trial sport so you really can't blame another rider motocross you could argue that he took you out it was intentional i mean here you got to take responsibility so that was pretty great to see so got down there you never want to see it um so and then i got down there and i obviously didn't have anywhere to be i was just looking at lines for the rider i said hey guys like, it's cool. I'm going to stay there. Like, are you sure? You know, like, we're good. We'll stay. And I said, no, no, I mean, you, you guys have got a race to prepare for. I know how it goes. Like, get out of here. But they were happy to lose the rest of the practice run to make sure a rider was taken care of properly. Or at least had just had someone there, you know, because otherwise you're with medics, but they're foreign. They're not really speaking English. It's a pretty shitty place to be on the side of the track on the ground. That's the way it's got to be done. Good on those guys. Good on them. Good men they are. Good yeah, men. And then you see at the finish, like there, there, there's a lot of respect. So there's that camaraderie, and then there's Greg smoking Loic by point nothing. There's the cheeky like ah oh, grin, and then you know big hug, and it's like you you can't argue that, you know. He just went faster on the day, so the respect was pretty cool. That's cool. Um, did see that Greg was using telemetry. Um, a couple of riders using telemetry. Did um, like. Is it going to be a thing where it's going to become a standard thing, in your opinion, that all the top teams are going to start using telemetry for, for testing? I mean, it's increasing. I don't know if it'll be a, a standard thing. Uh, it depends on the rider. I think there's a time and a place for it. If you could do it early on and you simplify the information or the mechanic does. Some guys have different bikes. I know Loic in the past had a different bike. I was speaking to Greg. I mean, we both looked at each other. I said, okay, so this is your race bike. And the telemetry is on your bike. And he was like, no, 100%. There's no ways he can ride another bike in a race week. You know, they just, no matter what you do, they're going to feel different. So some riders are able to do that. So even if it's a, Greg is that sensitive that even if it's a Fox 40 and he's got five clicks of high speed and rah, 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 whatever the setting is, if he sets up two forks exactly the same way, Greg still feels that they ride differently on the track. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think Greg Greg probably could. Other riders might not. I mean, I might say back in the day, I might not be able to do that with a fork or a rear shock, but my brakes definitely, and Greg as well, like depending how sensitive you are, like even grips might feel different. Your bar roll is probably the most important. It doesn't matter which line you think you've lined it up, you know? So that was interesting. You know, I think, I think you're right, Miles. The technology in the sport is progressing. Telemetry is there. 
uh, people are trying to find that extra edge. If, if they put that on and they can use the data to say your fork's not balanced to the rear end and then maybe that forces you to try something and it works, definitely. And, and they're getting smaller and lighter so you can just bolt them to your race bike. But yeah, um, let's get on to the 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 men. Uh, wow, as we said, what a race! I honestly have not remembered a race that you could almost mimic the quali runs and just the BMT of everyone to be able to come down and put down a run when it counted in those conditions because you could have easily had a slide out, lost two seconds. You could easily have had a crash pushing it at that pace. Yeah, I mean, when I saw Bruni riding, I like just, just I was like, that's the Bruni that wins. When I saw him riding, I was like, there's power, there's like precision, and he's he's executing, and he doesn't doesn't look flustered. So I was like, this is the Bruni that, uh, you know, when Bruni was sweeping and just like winning, 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 I was like, oh, oh, this is this is that guy. That guy's back. And uh, when he came down, I was, I, I thought that he was going to hold that, you know, hold that hot seat for the rest of the day. Yeah, it was a great run. And you could argue that the 308 wasn't as quick as Quali. But, you know, on a dry track like that and in Quali where you maybe don't have as much pressure, you could really put a heater down in Quali and maybe not step it up. But there's always a second or two. There's just it just mentally always is. And you saw Loris basically two seconds quicker. Tebow went two seconds quicker. But Loic was clinical. I hundred percent agree. He was fast, but there was just something not quite there at the bottom. So he lost a little bit at the bottom. But yeah, I mean, great run for him. He was obviously not quite on his game. He said he wasn't quite feeling comfortable, but he bounced back pretty hard. But that's kind of probably the kick in the arse he needs for Worlds, you know, to be up to pace earlier and, and, and stuff like that. So as you might, speak, might I'm looking at, uh, sorry, as you speak, I'm looking at Bruni's zone analysis and uh, on the Red Bull on the 10th, 10th zone, which is like there's only 11 zones, so 10th zone must be somewhere right near the bottom. You're 100% right. He lost up to a second in one, in one section. Um, and that's yeah, the that's top guys were just making time all the way to the bottom, yeah. Um, um, so yeah, Minar's run, great. can we even? I don't even <laughs> know if I actually want to even want to mention Minar's run because I just get too emotional when I watch that oak ride. Well, uh, you, you and I both like now that I can sit back and I don't have to race against him, and we're South African, so you can say how you really know, feel now, we're both South African. <laughs> No, it's fucking ridiculous. It was it's just unfair racing him. And, and I think because you just knew he could put one down. But like I said, the preparation he's been putting in, not to say he never has, but uh, I think he's riding his downhill bike more even in the season. He used to ride it a lot in the season and less in the off season. Uh, the preparation's there. The hunger's clearly still there. It's almost like he went through the phase of being the old guy and then you have to make a decision to stay racing or not. And now he's just got such a kind of bone to pick with like trying to beat everyone at 39 or 40. Like it seems like such an underlying motivating factor to get to 40 and then still be able to win a race. You know, no one's going to do this again. 
Like this. Yeah, I think you know what might be going on there, and I've got a few years on Greg, and that's the only kind of thing that we have in common, really. <laughs> well, other than the fact that we come from. <laughs> well, you have similar... some world champs strikes. Oh yeah, that too. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but mine's that's old man cool. world champs. So, but like, and also we come from a similar area in South Africa. But I think like with with Greg, like. I actually heard Conrad Stoltz, like Conrad Stoltz is seven times um, Xterra world champion. And Conrad Stoltz said that he was putting out his best watts um, in his early 40s. And uh, I've been riding bikes my whole life and I'm in my deep 40s now. And I know that I was able to put, I understood enough about training and enough about my system and learned how to listen to my system that in my early 40s, I was like as strong as in, in the best shape ever for, for downhill racing. And maybe Greg's approaching that space now where he's actually like, oh, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to hit the big four zero at some stage, but I can still hand it to, to the best in the world on almost every other weekend. And coupled with that relaxed demeanor, I mean, maybe he's also really understands his own body now and knows when he needs to do and what he needs to do in his training and in his weekend and race preparation and maybe that's all just just like snowballing and just gathering momentum now no definitely i mean he clearly knows his process and when something's off he's probably able to get back to it quicker if he's losing a bit of momentum or confidence and when I went up to do the project with him, he was as competitive as ever with me, even though I'm on the sidelines on the couch. So I don't know why he was pissing, like having a pissing contest with me on the road bike, but that was just like friendly banter. He's just, he's just innately competitive. He's as strong as ever. And I think you're right. The training is only compounding now. And he's at a gym as well in this track. Uh, like you said, are you going to try ride the smooth lines or sometimes you just got to knuckle it and hold on? And a lot of it was that. So I think the gym that he's added that he used to dabble in it a bit, but he's doing more of that. He's definitely stronger and you can see in his riding. I was chatting with PD and I said, you know, the gym he's at. And he said, no, he looks stronger on the bike. He might not like physically look it, but he's definitely, it, it's all helping. And, um, uh, he was just committed in practice from the get-go. Like you could see the effort he was putting in. You could see that. Um, how about his his line in the rock section? Unbelievable. And also, I think him and Loris were the ones that ended up on that line. And and he was just so fast coming in. It reminded me of Sam. He was like, "What's the straightest line, and how am I going to get it done?" And he kind of just didn't set up into the rocks because he knew he was just going to run wide into the gully. And then he made a turn which looked sharp and was, but it had a really good bank as you were in the turn to really turn hard pump to gain the momentum around the outside. So the stats showed he was quicker through there anyway. Correct. And it looked like, I mean, word on the web was that Greg was running that line first and then the others caught onto it by day two and race day. Um, But that's also just like, I suppose, just down to Greg's like years of experience. Like there'll be like three lines and guys consider those are the only three options. But with years of riding, Greg says, hold on, there's a fourth option here if you do this, this, this. And uh, that line, as you said, was um, way faster than any of the other lines. So amazing, amazing, uh, amazing experience uh, that Greg linked on there to make some good line choices. 
No, absolutely. And then uh, Laurie, I, I think he's been putting a lot of work in. He's got a lot of support training-wise, people on course to help him. Like He's trying to build this big package. And I think it was a great quality run, and he easily could have got lost in the finals. He easily could have got you know kind of overtaken in fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and we wouldn't have spoken much about him. But I think that run... Uh, for him under pressure to get back like a result you know it's been a little while so I mean he was so so fast when, when I when I watch Laurie I've never met him but when I watch Laurie I just see someone who just actually loves riding his bike and happened to become a good racer and now he's just sort of running with it and he's he's a superb racer and but the standout run for me was Laurie at Val de Soleil like I think it was Worlds or World Cup a few years ago when he just like was just obliterating the holes, just smashing through everything. I, I think maybe Gwyn won, ended up winning that race, or I can't remember for sure. But Laurie now, he's just, I'm watching his, as we speak, I'm watching his run again. And he's just like full attack. He's just doing everything. He's pedaling as hard as he can. He's pumping, he's squashing, and he's just smashing through everything. Um, he's, he's, he's that guy who, like you say, could just sort of be in a top 15 rider but then the next weekend he could win and um i wonder what's i wonder what's going on in, inside i wonder wonder why that is if there are any injuries or um you know why it is that he's had a few a few off races this year yeah it's been an odd year i think this is actually the true first true true test i think leo gang at the bottom is too inconsistent of a race section or race track, the bottom. Like, I'm not a fan for a fair race. I'm not saying make it easier, but something about it is not as consistent. So you don't see everyone's form there. And then Leger was a crapshoot. So, you know, you, you, you get on with age. You you put down those – you've got a World Cup win. You put down a crazy World Champs run. Now you expect it to perform. Do you, like, like as a professional, do you, do you think lo- – do you think Laurie's maybe like getting into the prime of his career where he's like put too much pressure on himself where he thinks now is when he needs to like get nail some wins or or what do you think? No, of maybe, I mean, he's, yeah, a, maybe, he's maybe unbelievably not. skilled. Yeah, 100%, definitely. And, and I just think the depth of field as well, which will get to the guys not on the podium and what isn't the most horrible run, but then if you look at the placing next to it, they're not, expe- you know, they're not used to that, like a Danny Hart. Pretty clean run, you know, a few years back could, you know, a run like that, he would be on the podium. Like he he just would, you know. So yeah, definitely Laurie's maybe coming into his own, maybe getting more comfortable with the limelight. And also just had a few crap races. It's not building momentum, you know. Yeah, it's just a point five of a percent and that can be it. Eh? But what about Deprella? What about that guy? I I just I understand it, but I don't understand the BMT and the kind of kind of composure and experience he's showing. But then again, I have been thinking about this. And if you learn to win, no matter in what category or what sport, if you can learn to win and, and deal with that, I think he can then bring it into the elites quicker and he learned to win in a, as a junior. If you learn to qualify Fosses as a junior – you know, even if there's less fast kids, you've still got to back up that run. So he's got a little bit of experience there. He's, you know, he trains or has been mentored by Nickers for years. 
So there's maybe some confidence that comes with that. I mean, his riding style is absolutely different to Voyeur's, but I mean, it's all out aggression. It's, <laughs> it's just Amari it's it's Perron esque. It's no holding back. Sometimes looks messier than what the clock shows us. But I mean, that's he just the had funny time. thing he because in this, in this, and go for it. No, he had he had time to play with. There were some small mistakes, but he'd made some good time at the top with that all-out attack, all-out aggression. He kind of like flips a middle finger at the old adage that smooth is fast because it's like he's just he's not. I mean, he's not like the hardest guy on the bike, but he just smashes and just he's he's just so quick and so if not smooth yet still so effective. It's it's quite interesting. No, it is interesting. It's just all-out aggression versus your Loris that's just really calculated, really smooth. The bike just is where he wants it. It's not out of shape. He's not really getting bucked. Um, but he's just carrying like ridiculous speed. I wish that in second-generation racing families like Thibaut, I wish you, there was a measurement that would measure how much of the racing pedigree trickles down from father to son because obviously Thibaut just grew up in this, was born into this uh, arena, this, this space where there's just everything was about time and racing and precision. And and uh, I wonder how much of that rubs off onto the young one and and, and uh, what impact that has because he, he just understands how to win. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, but also I think he's, also riding so mature because he knows he's got quite a gap in the overall. So he did some good work by getting second and some points. And then he kind of said he knows a podium is going to help with the overall. So I think he's actually subtly gunning for the overall already, which which is puts a lot of pressure on you. But he rode smart as well. Um, but his smart is just so aggressive. Random fact, or... Well, Apparently, it's a fact. Tracy reckons they were doing some chatting to him. And his side hobby is detailing cars. And apparently, at team camp, he like detailed all his teammates' cars. Like took two hours at a time to detail them. Basically, clean cars. I was like, it's quite a polar opposite of throwing your body down a hill. <laughs> it's interesting. Well, I think after this season, that, uh, yeah, he'd never have to lean back on that for an income. That'll just stay a hobby. Yeah. No, I literally was like, that's the polar opposite of what I would have expected. Like if you said he drives cars fast or he likes to rally drive, I could understand that. But yeah, so if it is true. Maybe his dad and, had him uh, cleaning all the cars when he was young. Well, I mean, I do think that he they come from a successful background business-wise, the dad as far as I know. But um, he's clearly learned work ethic. He's clearly learned you know, kind of sacrifice. You don't, you can't race a bike fast without having sacrifice, you know, missing parties and training and, and all that. But you, you called it, and they give you the credit, and said when Loris went on the winning rampage last year in Maribor that he was going to win 50% of races moving forward or next year. And technically, without the bullshit that he's gone through, it could have been true. But thank you for remembering. Issues. I'm I'm stoked you remembered. Yes, and Loris, thank you I for uh, pulling I my. I wasn't argue, arguing it, but I with I guess remember what I said. Like downhill's a fickle sport, and I don't know, and like not because I know what's going on, but more like uncontrollable things 
clearly happen. He's had issues with bikes and flats and crashes and all sorts. But he's undefeated, and he did a perfect weekend. One timed, one quali, one race. Yeah, I think like I've so for me why I said that about Loris is because I kind of I think Andorra World Champs 2016, I think it was a wettish race and I think Loris flattered or broke his chain or something and then his his run was done. It was either World Cup or World Champs. His run was done and he um just sort of in Andorra if you can do such a thing as sit up, but he just sat up and just sort of chilled down the track. And I watched that on the live feed and I was like this oak is insanely skilled so that was like five years ago where I was like wow he's still young he's French so he knows how to ride he knows how to compete and he's insanely skilled and then I then I tuned in and watched watched his career and he moved from a few moved around a few brands and then I think that the all two nine package uh, that he rode didn't suit him um, and I think that he uh, didn't have room enough to move around on the bike. So I was stoked last year when he got onto the V10, the MX V10. And I, and I I think I could see, I went through a similar process myself and I'm about the same height as Loris. And I also tried the full 2.9 DH thing. And I I just didn't like that rear wheel um, hitting me and not being able to move my hips around properly. And um, But then last year and the year before started seeing Loris just like technically so like under pressure and in the race run he is technically so proficient and often he seems to be the guy doing stuff that no one else is doing um I was at 2018 the Andorra World Cup 2018 I was racing there the Masters event but then we watched the World Cup event and just sitting on the trackside watching I mean, there's other guys going the same speed and stuff, but Loris is just like that butterfly, like floating through. Like it seems like the bike isn't hitting stuff as hard, hitting the square edges as hard, and um, he's just like the one guy who's always really, really impressed me. And I'm happy that he's really been able to perform on different brands and different wheel sizes, you know, from the specialized to Santa Cruz and Trek. He, you know, it's not a, you know, some riders just are, they can perform on a specific bike and you put them on another bike and then they just sort of kind of have problems. But, um, yeah, so I'm glad that Loris got a win and I'm glad that, um, that uh, you remembered me calling it last year. And I, I do believe that he could win. 50% of the World Cup and like the big races, European Cup, European Championships, World Cups and World Champs. I think he can he could uh, win 50% of them. But I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast because, you know, shit, that kind of shit gets in your head. <laughs> you better be listening to the damn podcast. Yeah, just tell no. him not to listen to those few minutes. <laughs> no, we'll big him up. We'll, we'll give him some, no, he doesn't need any more confidence. I think he's He's just got it inside him. He's cool, calm, collected. Um, it's overdue as well. And, and props to him for digging through, pushing through what was a lot of it out of his control as well. And uh, he almost got the monkey off the back, you know. And props to him for going out there and qualifying fastest. That does put more pressure on you, but he was he was relaxed with it and he used it to his advantage. Like he won by 1.7 seconds. Yeah, on, on a track that was tight. I mean, I was looking at this. Yeah, he was, he was 1.7 up. 
Yeah, and then the top 10 was separated by only 5.4 seconds. Off on the podium, you could maybe get there. Um, top 15, Brooke McDonald. He was only six seconds back, but he's in 15th place. So these times, you, you know, if you just pick apart like how far you were back from the winner or a podium at a previous race, you might say, okay, cool, I rode similar, but there's just a few more guys sneaking in there. I, the last thing I want to, the last thing I want to say about Loris really is, um, like his approach into that asphalt finish line. Like again, I wasn't there, but I, I've done a lot of bike riding in my time, and I saw that asphalt corner into the finish line, and I just thought to myself, well, all you do is you either put your foot out, or you just tuck. And you just don't pedal because as soon as you try and throw in one or two power pedal strokes, you're actually just breaking your aero and you're actually not getting any drive out of the bike. And I was kind of like, I know you get excited in the last five meters before finish line and you just absolutely go ape on the pedals. But when I saw Lars come through, I was like, that's how you do it. You just, he just leant, he just tucked. He didn't think about pedaling. He just stayed as aero as possible all the way across the line. Um, so it's like those little, when I say that, I, I see Loris doing other things that other people aren't doing. It, that's an example of it. And it, it was, um, it was clearly effective. Yeah, no, that was cool. I was, I was saying to Mick, you know, <laughs> And we'll get to value. Like, I'm pretty sure she just didn't want to crash anywhere in the track, let alone the last track. And Mick said, you couldn't crash on the last turn. It was 35 degrees and just the, the rubber was so hot, it would just grip. So, yeah, he was pretty committed, though. A little bit different to Tebow, basically, like, he was looking back at the clock while going to the finish line, it looked like it. Unbelievable. <laughs> that one was quite funny. I love that. Yeah, almost still power wheeling across the line and looking back at the time. Yeah, didn't lose time. But he Kids was, these days. Yeah, no, ridiculous. But um, we'll just knock out some standout rides and then a, f a few things that stood out. Dan Slack has to get a mention. First year elite, 66 plate, into a top 10 in an incredibly stacked field. I mean, more than stacked field, there's just so much depth these days. I've never heard of that name before. No disrespect, Dan. I'm sure you're a rad oak, but I've never like I, I'm a I'm a I'm a downhill fanboy. No, you wouldn't have. It's just his first year elite. He had some standout junior stuff, but you know, there's it's how the hell do you guys know how to ride so well so early? That's Look at the do. names he's ahead of, and he's from the UK. What do you got? Okay, you guys know how to ride in mud, and I suppose dust is pretty similar, but like on a dry track like that. He's ahead of Matt Walker, Troy Brosnan, Tyrion, Trummer, McDonald, um, and the list goes on. You know, Reese Wilson. And you can't argue it, but those big names are like, what? who is ahead of me? What have I done? And then it's like, well, I'm only six seconds back. And no, he had a great ride. He uh, comes from a trials background, as far as I know. I know Jack Redding a little bit, and he's riding for his team. And, and, and it was awesome to see, you know, the older riders are mentoring some of these young guys. So they're getting a little bit of help, but you still got to get that bike down the hill that quickly and hold on to the thing. He's, he's strong too. So that was, you know, like my standout ride. But Lucas Shaw, awesome to see him back gaining some momentum. Benoit Coulongs is in six, but he's up there. He's not just a guy that can win a French Cup, 
beat Loris Oloik at French Cup. He is now a staple on the World Cup scene. Had a mistake and had an issue in qualifying. So that was cool to see. Danny Hart, not what he wants, but this is where the depth comes in. That might have been a podium run in it, you know, say two years ago. So those sort of sort of things that happened. Matt Walker had a great quali, didn't quite back it up, but that's you know, there's a few people just trying to get their season going because of how weird the first two were. And then Troy Brosnan. So I had to look I had to look this up because I knew it was going to be impressive. And I could be wrong, it's on my phone. So Troy yeah, he was Brosnan, down, Brosnan down in twelfth, yeah. He's in twelfth. And I say a fair race. I can't call a Jay as a fair race. It was wet. And I went back. And at 2017 in Lords was a wet race. Like they got rained out. So those two, he wasn't in the top 10. You've got to go back to 2016, the final round at Val Nord, where he finished 20th. Other than that, and you statisticians, can't even <laughs> say the word, go have a look. I Please call me out. It seems like, but apart from those two like rained out races, we've got to go that far back to see him outside the top 10. I wonder if he had cut. a flat or something that was going on. Or it maybe well not. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I mean, this weekend. I mean, maybe he had um, uh, something going on. No, I, I don't think so. I, I Like, it just... Yeah, he was seventh just, in quali, and usually he's in the top five in quali as well, so... Yeah, I just, sometimes you just don't quite gel. Just, you know, a second or two back than what you, you wish you could do, you know? It's so tough. Eh? It's the hardest job in the world. It's so tough what these guys do. And you only get that one chance. You know, it's just there are other sports where you can make mistakes in the final. You have more time. Completely. I got a, I got a standout performance. I really like the way uh, Angel Suarez is riding. I don't know if it's... Yeah, definitely. Uh, I speak no, a bit no, of Spanish, 100%. so I don't know if it's Angel or, or uh, Angel or how we say it on your English podcast, but uh, Angel Suarez was... I like his style and I like I think he's quite I think he's I think he's got some he's got more than ninth in him. I think there's more coming from him. No, definitely. He's just quietly going about his business and he was healthy last year and got all those top tens, moved teams. Um no no, I I I'm not surprised at all to see him where he is or if he was on the podium. Yeah. Um, no, and then obviously shout-outs to homeboy South African Theo Erlangson from Cape Town sneaking into the well into the final and then uh, 50th place on his birthday. So nice one, Theo. Yeah, and I mean, there were some big names that didn't make the final. Um, there were some guys that just snuck in and they're guys that you're used to seeing in the top 20 in quali, but they're a little bit worried about not qualifying and they're riding 10s, getting 35th, 40th and... He was 39th in quali, and I think what we'll see if he could, he's asking questions at a World Cup, which he wouldn't at a local race, and I always, I kind of say to him, you've got to remember, like, you know how to do this when you're at home, so you've just got to get here and focus on yourself. He hasn't got that self-confidence at a World Cup yet, um, so, and, I, and I think it'll, it, it'll come, you know, you know, got any last words of advice, or what should I do, and, and I think that's a little bit looking outside to everyone and not just, okay, what can I control? I know I can ride a bike. You know, if he does it at home, he's got the confidence. He's cocky at home. That's great insights. And then when he's there, who does he bringing that here? 
who, what camp is he in? I mean, I know he writes for Common Soul South Africa, and I know he gets support from Global, but th- does he like pit with guys? So does he have other guys that he can constantly bounce line choice and things off of, or is he on his own out there? No, I think I did see him after. I, I, I can't confirm where he would pit out. I know um, with Nico and them, they have vans and stuff, but I'm not sure if he – there are some Common Soul – other teams that he can maybe pit with and help. But yeah, maybe he hasn't got that teammate to take the World Cup experience from, which some other riders can do. And and I was lucky enough to have teammates and people that I could ride with. So I think it just comes with time and just to remember that that you you are there, you are good enough to be in the main show and you have to kind of trust your own abilities, you know? Yeah, sure. Fair enough. And then, I mean, this is... Uh, you know, and then the likes of Wilson not not having a great race, but I think he's he's pretty aware that that can happen. They're definitely, like I say, you're just off your game, and you expect to be in the top ten or in a podium, and next thing you're 18th or or whatever it may be. It it is the nature of the sport at the moment. Yeah. So we've spoken. I agree completely. And so we've spoken about the riders and the track. Now, what about that commensal team? P1 woman, P1 men, P1 team. Like, uh, must be unreal to be Max Commensal right now, right? Oh, yeah. He's having a great old time. And he was at the race too. He's, it's, it's amazing to see him out there. And, and just testament to, I guess, you know, their marketing seems to be in gravity. That's what they focus on. That's so the they, Formula they, One they, for them. They, they put their resources into that. I mean, all the other teams do. But they're focusing on a lot of other things, focusing on road, XC, you know, all those other things. So you can't argue that they've got, but they've also got great riders. You know, they've got Pom Pom who was, can, you know, it doesn't matter what bike you put on, she's going to be able to win. Thibaut is clearly a phenom. Amory, well, I think, will ride a farm gate down the hill with aggression. Um, <laughs> But in saying that, you can't take away. I know you've ridden the former uh, layup of that bike, and now they've got a new one, and and they do that. They're they they're building a bike for a race division, not only really an OEM. You know. Yeah, it's incredible if you look back on the sport and the t- technology that we've got now. I mean, so let's let me think, do some math quickly. High pivot downhill bikes. 2021 World Cup season. So we've had three rounds. That's six races, women and men. And we've got four out of six winners are on high pivot bikes. So I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, I've ridden one there. I mean, I, I've owned one. I've ridden a few of them. Um, they are incredible. And I mean, if you question to you is, I know you are a trail ambassador for Scott, and obviously you can't give away any secrets or anything, but a question to you generally, um, if you are in the bike industry now, are you, and you don't have a high pivot gravity bike, uh, is it something you look at? Do you move away from a traditional design where you've always said you don't need a high pivot uh, bike and do you, do you explore it? Do you test it? And then also second part of the question, if you're a privateer out there, do you consider, based on the results, based on what is winning nowadays, do you, as a privateer, buy something that's not a high pivot bike? And, and like, do you feel confident if you're not on a high pivot bike as a privateer? 
I mean, I haven't looked at it that that deeply at all, and I'm going to go off topic, then come back. Here's what's interesting. I heard a rumor that when Volio stepped away, there was a there was there's a rumor that because he was paid to win and won all those races, if he got a frame deal from a manufacturer and he didn't win, that would then look bad from a marketing standpoint because he didn't win on the bike. So then you had to blame the bike because he could win. So I do still believe these riders can make anything work. That's what makes them amazing. And I haven't ridden one to compare and, you know, maybe it's conflict of interest that I'm not going to share my exact thoughts or keep certain people happy. But the general guy on the street and the general people that buy downhill bikes might not even race them. And at that point, you need an all-round bike. You go to bike parks, you go to Whistler, you do shuttles. Yeah, you actually need things. a... a- you need a bike that pedals well and does everything well, not yeah, just you need, rolling you need through the gnar. All round, exactly. So, and that's why you know Gwyn over the years has come on maybe a bike, and then he said you know he needs to get adapted. They need to work on a few things because the World Cup rider is just riding at some ridiculous different pace down way gnarlier stuff. So it's almost like some teams are building race machines like an f1 car and f1 bike and all of them are like scott has gone the very light route the the you can tune that bike to different courses it's got a linear progressive so not just that i ride for scott but that's their idea is to say well here's a bike you can set it up for any track and then you could argue a high pivot's not going to work when you need to really carry speed or there's more pedaling and pumping involved but the top riders in the world where the bike lacks, they perform. You know, they just can kind of get away with skill. Well answered. Sense. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, I just wanted to throw that out there, but I completely agree with you. And then, like, while we're talking on equipment, um, <laughs> you think back twenty-five years ago or twenty years ago, there were only a couple of manufacturers that were making a good downhill bike, and there was only like maybe two good forks you could buy and you know there was only like maybe two good tire brands you could use like you really had option on two tires like you had a comp 16 or you had a um comp 22 was it or comp 24 i can't remember but you you really there was really no choice and now there's so many good bikes available and there's such so much good suspension i mean sun tour making great suspension these days there's obviously rock shocks fox olens there's a proper selection if you look at tires there's bontrager maxis michelin schwalbe conti pirelli like everyone's jumping into this this game and what I'm saying is it's actually an amazing time to be riding bikes because there's, there's so much good equipment available. Yeah, and there was an, there's another like point to throw into the depth. Um, there's so many good bikes, so much good suspension. So everyone that's at the start line is not really undergunned. And maybe in the past, some of the factory stuff gave you a little advantage. Yes. Well, actually, I'd say quite a big advantage if you, if, like, a couple decades or a decade or two ago. Years ago, 10, 15, like, post where only a few guys had good stuff. Then, you know, there were lots of OEM people that making stuff, but maybe the factory team got the new bike before it was sold. 
or before a privateer could, and that bike was like a little bit better. And then, you know, so it's just like technology is caught up. It's broader. More people have, you know, I mean, there's how many good teams out there. There's, there's how many good riders. Like the depth is just insane at the moment. And that leads us to the depth in the women's field. I mean, it's an exciting race. It, it's, it's getting harder and harder to call the winner, to call the podium, which is what the fans want. Dude, I completely agree. It's actually more difficult to call the women's winner than the men's winner. Like they're they're pinning it. And there's there's way more than five people who are legit cases for for winning. No, it's it's crazy. It's I mean, Valley technically wasn't on the podium, but she qualified fastest, not her best run, right? Um and then you've got Marine wasn't on the podium because she's coming back from a harsh injury at Leger. Um, so it was her, she had a few days on the bike, her first race back. And I think she really hoped and expected to maybe be up there, but the level has just progressed that the other girls, everyone's putting the work in. Everyone's, like we said, got good bikes. They're on teams. You know, there's a little bit, there's sometimes a lack of support for the women, but there's also some third party teams that have got women on, on there. You know, the Duval team, they've got two on the podium there. How cool is that? That's the that's technically the the second tier common cell team, if you will, or they ride common cell bikes. I mean, that's pretty damn cool. And what's also nice is it's a it's a mixed nationality. You know, there's uh, Eleonora Farina, Italian, Cami, Swiss, Monica, Slovenian. There's Tani, the from the UK, Valentina, Valentina. You know, um, Austrian, Austrian. There's. Um, Jessica Blewett, who was like, I've never seen that name before. And she was only, she was only eight seconds off. She was in eighth place, eight seconds off. Like she's a pinner. She, like, if you're eight seconds off, you, you're not far off a podium. Yeah. She's three off, three off the podium. And, and Millie is coming into her own as well. So when she starts, you know, gaining a little bit more confidence, like I could see it in her riding. I think she's starting to just feel a little bit more comfortable on the elite stage and on the big team and, and all she that stuff. She looks strong, eh? They've got big mountains there in Norway. She looks strong. Yeah, and like Mathilde Bernard, I've seen her at the Crankworks. Um, yes, she's some time back, but in her riding and she's gained, she comes from BMX background and she's gaining some experience, so maybe she'll start moving up the ranks. Um, uh, it, it's just so cool to see, and I, I do feel for Valley whole and you have to say it differently i've potentially mispronounced it in a bit of a pressure live situation so forgive me if i have valley valley it's it's a tricky one for us south africans she's a pinner though she's great but when you qualify fastest and you've unfortunately crashed the last two rounds you must be thinking that subconsciously or consciously she was not going to let herself crash in this run because she kind of just started fading as the time went on. But she was good in quali. So is that fatigue? Or is that maybe the tightness that she was riding with and got fatigued? I think it's the latter. You, you, you're not, you're not going to want to crash in the last turn. And you're for sure not going to want to crash again and not have some sort of result. So I think she rode to protect her result. Yeah. She's clearly got a lot of talent and clearly has the potential for an, an astonishing career. And maybe she's just thinking too far ahead instead of just like 
relaxing and riding her bike fast. I mean, who knows what's going on there? But like, there was a lot of media hype about her for a couple years rolling into her transition to elite. And I think that's, it's hard to process all that at a, at a youngish age and to, to put yourself into a, into the right sort of situation where everyone around you isn't saying that you're the next best thing. They just, they're just treating you like the, you're the same old, same old. So, I mean, I don't know what's going on in, in her situation. And she's going to smoke and win a whole lot of events moving forward. You can just see that. She's super skilled. Um, but maybe it's just, as you say, yeah, riding a little too cautious now. And, yeah, we'll see. It would be interesting to see how the rest of the season unfolds for her. And I wish her all the best. I know she's going to be right up there meddling and podium before we know it. I, I definitely agree. and And I think this is maybe not as good a result as she would want or everyone expects, or hey, you're, you're able to come into elites and qualify fastest, or your junior times were better than some times of the elites. Maybe there was an expectation from everyone and her that she could come in and just do pull a Rachel and just start winning, you know? And, and sometimes, like you said, you might get ahead of yourself. But this is a momentum race for her. She qualified fastest again, speeds there. She got down the hill. Yes, it's six. But now maybe the weight is lifted off. Okay, I got a clean race run. Technically for the first time this season at a World Cup. That's a positive. That's actually a win for her. I know it's disappointing, but if I was in her corner who, you know, and I was speaking to her, that's what I would say. And and I'm sure there's a lot of people trying to give her advice. And like you said, it's probably very overwhelming. Everyone wants to help her. Everyone sees, you know, how well she could do. Yeah. And, and look and, at uh, um Look at Tane, who was only one position ahead. Tane was, uh, you said riding injured. You said she had a big stack. She had a big stack in on first day practice. Um, and it, it shook her up and physically, and, and she mentioned it, but I was I was there. She, she just took a really big stack on, on hard dirt. Um, jerseys and stuff was ripped a bit. Um, she took she took a, a beating, and it, it just, it sometimes saps the, momentum and confidence out of a race week it's tough to bounce back when you get hit physically physically hard like that you know maybe that's the story that's told in her splits because i'm looking at her splits she she's got the fastest split for the first second for yeah for the first sector which is 44 seconds long so she's 0.2 up on everyone in the first 44 seconds of the race so she was gunning but yeah maybe she got a bit sore and uh, yeah, and split three to four, she's losing quite a bit of time there. And um, that, she mentioned it, and uh, it's it's just a sport, like we said. But uh, Monica, great ride, considering how much pressure's on her shoulders. Uh, new European champ as well as, you know, she's from Slovenia. We all know how nice it would be to have a great result in front of the home crowd. So I think the I think the BMT she showed there was awesome completely agree with you and i think the ne the next best thing to winning your home race is crossing the line and going into the hot seat you know a yeah, podium is nice but yeah. when you cross the line you go into the hot seat on your home race the crowd erupts and like uh that must have been real special moments for her i was stoked for her yeah i i i, I couldn't agree more and, and i've been lucky enough to actually feel that and not lucky enough to win one, but the hot seat is cool and and just getting like a clean run, you know. There's a there's this un, uh, hidden pressure when you're at home. Of course, you want to do well. Maybe the family's there as well, or more friends. I mean, it's nicer to race on the other side of the planet versus at home. 
And that's why what Greg's able to do at home and what she did there, I mean, it's, it's really impressive. But great run under pressure. Podium did every race this year. So the momentum is building. And then teammate. I, re- I remember you hot seating on your World Cup run here in South Africa. I remember that, dude. Well, it was like ten, almost 10 years ago. I did a lot, a long time ago. Let's let's move on. That's awfully long ago. I'm so ne- never happy forget needles. Never forget. No, no. There's. It's nice being at the races, but my word, it's so good being on the sidelines. I've I've made it through the the tough transition of doubting if you want to come back or I could also do that. Give me a bike, and now I'm just looking at that rock section. And then I have to get reminded that I did the stupid thing of going down it at speed. But I've kind of forgotten about it because I don't want to do it again. So it's like it never happened. <laughs> the the speed and shit when you're on the side of the track watching the top guys is just, it's disgusting actually. Okay, but wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second here. You actually admit, you've never admitted to me that you actually ever had thoughts of returning. But you have now. You've just admitted you at one stage in your three, four years of retirement thought about coming back is that right well i think it's natural that you know the first year or two oh you know i was on the fence to to retire at the time but the way the industry went and in my gut as well i knew it was coming but if uh, you know you toy with the idea okay what if scott says there's a gap on the team come do a few races like would you say yes and maybe a few years ago i would but (laughs) if they said that now I would have to just I, I would I wouldn't even ask about how much they're gonna pay me because I would need to get paid to do something stupid like that. Um you know, like part of you wants to, but a lot of it just knows the pressure. And I was at the top of the race and I walked up to Danny. So top of no for qualifying, it wasn't the race, qualifying. And I looked over at Danny, hadn't started warming up yet. Walked over, I could see he wasn't in preparation mode yet, and he he just said how much are you liking not having to warm up right now and race? And I'm like, you have no idea how good this field is. Like, yeah, I know. Like, like I said joke. earlier, it's such a tough job what these guys do. It's such a tough job. It looks all glitz and glamour, but it's such a tough job, eh? Yeah, and like, the, what about being at the top and one of your fellow competitors is getting airlifted out of there and they stop the race? No, they they hold qualifying. Yep. Just need to, uh, the helicopter just needs to come in. And when the helicopter's gone and in position again, we'll restart the race. Like, no emotion. There's just the, the, the officials at the top. Yeah, 10 minute delay. Someone's just getting airlifted off. Okay. See you in a bit. Unreal. You've got to have your head game right for that one. And I guess also for your, if like for a comeback to that kind of level, like it takes. Even for someone like you who's got so much of that training in your in your blood and in your system and you're still in good shape, it, it takes like a, a year to get into World Cup race condition for like an ex-professional, right? Yeah, condition-wise. But mentally, you know, Dean Lucas uh, took out – he was had to miss 2020. And I think he's still got a bit of like scar tissue of missing a year of racing. A little bit the speed, a little bit mentally. Like he's riding well. He's great. He's been on the podium before. But it's just to get up to that speed and then you've literally got to make peace that you can get hurt and then and then block that out. But speaking of BMT and, and head games, Camille Blanchet, Blanche, I need to get my pronunciation 
better I think it's Swiss I think I heard writers. Sven saying Cami, so I'm just going to go with Cami. Yeah, Cami, but uh, yeah, yeah, of course. But Cammy, I think it's respect. Balanche. Balanche, yeah. We need to we need to tell Max he's been given given a few people are given a bit of trouble when he's on on site with Benoit Coulange. No, Max Kluwer, the live commentator, what an absolute legend, guys. That guy's got skills. It's not easy yes. what he does either. No, 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 not at all. But I'm like, everyone's looking at me like, do you know him? Of course, yeah, legend, Max from home. It's Benoit Coulange. Tell him. And I'm like, I know it's not as easy. We're trying. It's, it's, it's taking a second language to pronounce it like that. So no disrespect. Tough crowd out there. Yeah. Um, so Cammy. So Tracy's obviously knows her pretty well, and she's been covering her for Red Bull and all that. A former Winter Olympian. I never Tracy's knew that. Mouth. Yeah. Uh, did she say ice hockey, apparently? Really? So, so maybe racing a bike down a hill isn't as much pressure as going to Olympics. I don't know. But she's really coming to own as a rider, able to deliver under pressure. She's going to wear the overalls. I had the overalls. She's tied in the overalls still. Another podium for her. Very, very strong ride there on what could be argued as not a track that suits her because she's been doing well on these other ones, you know, like Leo Gang and the Wet and, and all that. So, And she's like, I mean, she's been been around for a couple of seasons, but it's not like she's done like more than five seasons of riding. She's also no, a newish face. Barely a couple of seasons. No, no, she's a very new face, Miles. And she's it's, proven it. She, she like, she, she's the real deal. Wins in the dry and wins in the mud. Like bring it. She's got it. Make it steep, make it flat. She can do it. Yeah, and it's and n- not really succumbing to the pressure of a world champs jersey or the number one board of the World Cup. Look, it's midway midway-ish through the season, so we'll see when it's the real title hunt near the end. But I think that's awesome. I think it's it's brilliant to hear her background it makes a lot of sense why she's doing so well. So that was really cool. And then a little bit could be a, not a dark horse, but hasn't been up there the last few races. But Farina with a second place finish close to the win as well. Farina, I I was watching her run and I was thinking this is really good. She's she's um for me it looked like she was a lot more aggressive than uh, most than the majority of the field, and um, I wasn't I wasn't um. At the end of looking at the results, I wasn't surprised to see her in second. And in fact, I thought that maybe she could have challenged for a win. And like, yeah, I think, yeah, she's no longer, well, she's a dark horse, not even a dark horse now for a win. I think she's a, she, this could be her breakthrough result where she's now regular top four, top three at uh, all kinds, on all kinds of tracks. I mean, we've yeah, we've seen great runs, but like you say, I I made some notes while I'm watching. I, I was like, strong ride, really attacking. And you're right. She, she, she mentioned she just consciously said, attack to the finish, attack to the finish, and that's one of the key things to racing at a, at a high level is not to even be aware that you're on a good run, not to say I'm on a good run, don't mess it up. You know, the minute you think that you're going to lose time, so she just attacks. She's really fit too, and you can see that she's strong. Yeah, she's um, able to hold that position with her head just over her bars, like that like semi-press-up position for the most of the run, which shows like she's not needing to sit up and 
you know, relax the shoulders for a split second. She's in that attack mode for the full run, which is which is why I guess we're saying she's so strong. And um, it would be cool to see more results and more rides, more more race rides like that from her. Yeah, I mean she is strong here. You know, looking back at Maribor on the podium both runs, so it's 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 a strong track for her. Um, and she's you know she's had some great results in the past. Don't get me wrong. Um, but to get second against Pom Pom, I mean, a little different line in the rocks, which was cool to st- to see. Cheese, um, great run. It's just strong. I saw she was kind of losing time on the way down, um, but she just made up so much, you know. Yeah, obviously Tony had the, the fastest. You say again? No, I was looking at the split. Something. Uh, Tani had the first split, the fastest first split, and then uh, then it just went the way of Miriam. Yeah, exactly. So Miriam made good time on Farina, like to split two, three, and then was able to like lose a bit of time, but she'd already like you know made enough on Farina because Farina was so strong down the bottom. So like Farina was pulling back, you know, if the race went a little bit longer, who knows what it could be? You know, she lost like one point something seconds in the last last kind of sector there or not last sector from like split three which is a second to the finish that's the one i noticed i was like shucks in a minute of track she lost quite a bit of time there at the finish yeah i when i watch Miriam these days i just um i'm so stoked if she doesn't crash because i know she's had some horrible injuries that have really impacted on her podium count and so on and when i watch her and she puts in a tacking run and doesn't crash i'm stoked um, but it was interesting listening to her her um, post-race, like immediately after the race, I think Lauren from Red Bull was asking her some questions and she kept saying how tired she was and that she gave the courses so physically demanding and she gave it her all. And um, I think like it just had me thinking like that's, that's there's, there's no like sit up and rest in a pedal section anymore or like take a breather here like – in in racing these days at that level there's like absolutely no chance to take a breather you have to gun from the first split all the way to the finish line and and miriam was she's in good shape she's she's a weapon but she was properly exhausted after her run yeah it makes you think like there are some tracks that you you know you're going at maximum speed out in the open at mount sanan you're going 60k an hour or whatever and there's like you can't really make any more track speed so you can death grip a bit and like mentally get your composure but physically as well and like you said in the beginning like what are you doing are you finding smoother lines and somewhere you can't and unfortunately you have to hold on otherwise you're going to get bucked off the bike and you hold on tight that's where the arm pump starts building you know you can't just ride like loose with the hands and kind of like you know rest the arms at all there wasn't really much let up at all so there was a lot to the track constantly the whole way down. Yes, there was only three minutes, which I think is a good length for World Cup racing. Uh, I think they could bring it out into the ski slope. I think it looks so cool at you know max speed when you can just see the guys pinning it. Like the old Slovenia finished on the other side. And if you old footage in like 98, 99, and Volios and Petey just coming, coming across these ski slopes. I think that's really cool. And, and I mean, of course... You've got to have everything in a track, but I think for TV, it could be cool to see some 
fast sections in the open where you can really see the riders, you know? Okay, yeah, I agree with you. And so probably in those like faster, more open sections, there were a few seconds where guys could like sit up and breathe for a little bit. But nowadays the tracks are just so full on. There's no chance to rest, right? Yeah, and then down the bottom, like the track, it kind of traversed the hill. So it's quite a steep hill in, in, in places. But because it traversed... Those turns all off camber, super critical to gain speed, two or three pedal strokes, pump. There wasn't any like free speed. You had to make a bit of speed down the bottom as well. And then that like that that one hop down the bottom, there was that kind of right near the end. It was a right Just before the bridge. They, yeah, I'm not sure, but you kind of like bunny hopped into the backside of like a really horrible, just it wasn't a big, it was just a small bunny hop, but you could barely kind of clear and he just slammed into a hole, but you needed to gain momentum. Kind of like, you know, 15 seconds before you came out of the last woods before the quad. Oh, uh, okay. So, okay. yeah. And I mean, you would have been gassed by then. Then you've got to like bunny up your bike into the, like into a steep backside and then gain momentum. So there were some finicky areas that if you got clean, you could, you could make time. And few riders mentioned they weren't the cleanest, you know, and, and maybe Loris had that ultimate clean run, you know? Well, with Miriam's run, she, she's sharing the points lead now with, with Cami. So how does that work? Who? Uh, so Pom Pom will take the plate because of the last, like she had the best result at the last race as far as I know. So it sounds like she'll have the plate. Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe just have the ranking. Cool and if this, if, the, if this was the last round of a season, what would they share the title? Or would to, it also fall to the? It might. They might go back in races like that. I'd have to go. We'd have to check uh, the UCI for that, or maybe I'll start checking before we do the last review. I think it might go to who did best at the last round. So technically, so it's, this, it's one, this one. Miriam, Miriam and Cami tied on five sixty, and then Valley on four seventy five, which is. In third spot, which is actually quite amazing, considering the the, the runs that she's had. Tani's in fourth. She's under a hundred points, which isn't that hard to make up, you know. If she has another good quali and and wins, you know, if she got two fifty points, and someone else was like just off the podium or in fifth, like you can gain those hundred points. So so Valley and Tani are four seventy five and four sixty two in third and fourth. So they, the top four, the 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 overall. If you want to chat overall, is we're three rounds in, and uh, the overall is still wide open in the women's race. Yeah, no, no, absolutely wide open. Like I say, uh, you go back to back with a quali and a win. It's two fifty. You get fifth with an okay quali. It's you know it's one fifty, one forty five, one sixty points. Like in in that region, so you can make make a bit of a dent and and that's what Tebow's managed to do because he didn't suffer from the wet race. You know, he's he's at 590. Your next best is Troy Brosnan who has had two bad races technically. One rain-soaked one and then one uh, 11th in points. So he's back at 353 and Tebow's at 590. So he's got he's got a buffer, a, hey. He's he's really got a big buffer. Yeah, a decent buffer, but it's downhill racing, anything can happen. But I think Greg sneakily after those points he got in Leger saw, hey, you know, he's jumped up in the overall. So he's yeah, I think in third I think coming overall. into Slovenia he was fifth in the points and leaving Slovenia he's now third. So 
you know, while he's not winning that World Cup that makes us all scream and want to uh, party until the next week, um, he's uh, moving forward in the overall, which is actually really exciting. Yeah, and then Loris has bumped up to fourth. Laurie jumped up to fifth. Loik in sixth. So Loik's got a little bit of work to do. And then we spoke about Benoit Coulange. He's in seventh. So, I mean, that's pretty amazing seeing him in the points there. A little bit like we said, really mixed season so far. Technically the first clean, clean, fair, fair conditions, I think. So all in all, epic, epic race. If we didn't cover something... Hit me up. Tell me what you want to hear about or who you feel we should have mentioned because well, that's what we're here for. Try to give a show. And Miles, did I miss anything? Anything else you made note of? Um, I just think like um, you were there. You saw the action unfold. I was watching it on the webs and what have you. Great coverage by Red Bull, by the way. But I was watching it um, here on all the channels. And um if you were there, what would you say the secrets to the race are? Hindsight's always twenty twenty. So give us your like, give us three secrets to to smashing Slovenia. Three secrets. Well, I I I think uh, fitness fitness was was really up there. You saw the guys that didn't fade at the bottom, and that goes for any race. The guys, if you can put a, a really good final two sectors together. I think I think you move up. I mean that's that's clear as day. So it's like um, start a little slower and then build through your run, something like that. Well we well, in the past, yes. But now as as you said, there isn't a lot of breathing room. I mean no, on a short track there's none of that. So I I, I think but I think a I think um c- commitment. A commitment and a great like c- like calculated aggression. Greg ah. was a calculated rider, but he was aggressive the whole way down. He didn't let the bumps move him backwards. He was getting through them, you know. So uh, a calculated aggression was kind of the key here. Um, Needles. And, and you saw that. That's exactly why they pay the big bucks. That's the golden nugget right there. Calculated aggression. I love it. Okay, well, we'll wrap it there. I think thanks to everyone that's been supporting the podcast. This has been the Crank, Crank Brothers Race Review. Shout out to them. Make some of the best pedals in the game as well as shoes. And I'll give you some more information after the show on all that. But thanks so much to Miles Kelsey. Uh, it's been awesome catching up. And I know you'll be on for, for more of these. And like we said, shoot us a message. If we miss something or you feel we're incorrect, hit us up. We don't mind being wrong. We certainly don't have all the answers, but maybe we have all the questions, eh, Miles? Needles, always a pleasure. Yes, always a pleasure. Hit us up with some questions and uh, love your podcast, mate. Good work. Thanks again. Thanks again to Crank Brothers, who is synonymous with downhill racing. Last year, celebrating 10 years in a row of elite world champs with that mallet DH pedal. Hey, and they didn't stop there. They were determined to improve the shoe and pedal interface for their riders. Crank Brothers spent the last two years developing their own range of shoes. They launched late last year, and in 2021, well, we're going to see that shoe in action. Lucas Schur, Bernard Coe, Angle Suarez, there are many more. Camille Blanchet, who won the first round. So thanks again to them for stepping up and supporting this podcast. Until the next Crank Brothers Race Review, guys, stay well. <laughs>